Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for April 5th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shivlett. Good evening, sir. Oh, uh, great to have you all on again. Um, Podcasting, one of the easiest things to do that doesn't change when you're sheltering in place. Uh, We're excited tonight because... Um, in about 20 minutes from Illinois, we're going to have Chris Leoncheck, and he is un, uh, uh, uncued on Twitter, and he does some incredible political data maps and, and some other things, but the political data maps is kind of what brought him to my attention, and he's so gracious to be on with us tonight, and we're going to talk to him about a variety of different um, data he's put together with some states and maybe glean some insight to the future by looking at the recent past. Um, But until then, something we haven't talked about, because there's been so many facets of this coronavirus that have just taken over politics, is actually trying to vote. Um, How do you campaign? How do you cast ballots um, in this situation? And you could say, oh, well, that's simple, and then you have a plan, but then people like to somewhat game the system, if you will. So let's start out talking about the first state that's really going to face this in a major way because of the way that, you know, different folks have looked at it, and that is the state of Wisconsin. Um, They haven't moved their election back, and they haven't um, done any kind of real robust mail-in absentee ballot program either. They're pushing through, and they're going to have – some polling places open. For instance, the city of Milwaukee normally has well over 100 polling places. My understanding is they're going to have five. And, of course, if you have you know fewer polling places, you're going to have more lines, and lines are probably not a good idea health-wise. Or who wants to stand in a stupid line anyway, even if everybody's healthy and everything's great outside? But, um, Catherine, uh, let's kind of just start off with this Wisconsin situation. Well, that sounds very problematic. Are they going to have extended hours, more voting days or something? Because how can you do that? No. It, I mean, we already they, – They are already acting like business as usual, you know, seven to seven. Except – Same amount of time, ex- fewer stations. Wow. That's yeah. really amazing that they are able to do that, that – that they that there's not a revolution about that <laughs> because I would be outraged if, well, if I heard that. There's been and if you if you do uh, the court filing, if you do the recommended six no. feet away, then you're going to have line, lines for miles. Well, That's crazy. I don't know what to say about that. To even vote. Yeah, it's it's right, well, and, and here's the thing. It'll, there's it'll, the presidential primary. The the presidential primary is on the ballot, which we know for all intensive purposes it's decided. 
Although, of course, if we have more situations like this, this could change the whole complexion of the race in a way that doesn't reflect um, the will of the voters. But more importantly, I think in Wisconsin, this driving this, they have a state Supreme Court election in which it's very closely contested, and it's going to decide who controls the court. It's that that I don't know if they have nine seats, but it's that deciding seat most likely. And um, it, there's a lot of um, rulings in the state of Wisconsin that this is going to determine. And you know, the governor I think's wanted to try to put it off. The the state senate, which is you know, pity held, has said no. Tim, give us some more information on this. Well. Yeah, they've been going back and forth, and uh, a thing that I was reading that is unlike 2016, the Trump campaign in particular is just flush with cash, so much so that they don't know what to even spend it on. So they have developed a very robust litigation arm with like 10 attorneys and a budget, you know, to die for. And they're going state to state and fighting this stuff out. Um, in, in states like Wisconsin's, for instance, they wanted to relax the, the, the laws a little bit so that it would make it easier, uh, I don't know, for people to vote by ballot which the governor of the state, of course, is all for just everybody vote by ballot. Well, uh, that's being fought. Uh, It's being fought in every state, and it's being fought there as well. Um, The the first thing the Republicans wanted to do in that state is just, you know, not have the election at all. because they they don't they don't need to have a presidential preference primary they got their nominee uh what's the next best thing make it as hard as you can on the democrats yeah there's going to be a lot of problems with this uh this week I, w- I i personally wish it were being backed up or something if they can't just let everybody vote by mail uh who i i don't, I don't look for many people to show up in person to vote and uh, I, I don't think there's going to be very much of a turnout. And uh, if there is any turnout of any type, Biden's going to, you know, blow Sanders out up there, according to the polls. So and I, I just don't see why they're doing this at all when 12 states have already, you know, delayed their primaries. I, I, I just don't think it's a good idea. People don't have this on their mind right now. Well, and if you had a system where people could vote mail-in ballot, request absentee ballots, you could possibly push ahead. I mean, you would have needed to go ahead and do that a few weeks ago, but they didn't do that. The Republicans wanted to block it, and and that's and you said the polls are showing Bernie Sanders. I'm sorry, Joe Biden's blowing Bernie Sanders out. Well, what if the actual election looks completely different? From whatever reason, there's more ballot access in say Madison. Or Republicans in rural areas decide, oh, we're going to monkey with this, and we're going to vote for Bernie Sanders. And then the the actual result looks nothing like the polls because the turnout was, you know, 22% of what it would have normally been because of this. And then that state that uh, state Supreme Court seat, um, 
I'm sure there's polling on it. What if that poll's showing it's 48-48, four undecided, and then it ends up being 60-40 one way or the other? Um, and you see that the turnout patterns um, caused it, you know, the, this to, you know, convolute the election. That's not democracy, and that's, I do find that to be problematic. But let's talk about these states, including our own in Georgia, that have pushed back elections. Now, um, you know, Brian Kemp, he's shown some leadership, even though he obviously didn't listen to any medical uh, description of this virus, um, if he didn't know it was transmitted without um, symptoms. But he did show, you know, he went ahead and said, hey, okay, we'll push this thing back. We'll send out um, absentee ballot request forms seemingly to everyone. I actually got mine and my wife's. We got ours in the mail Friday. Filled it out. You do have to put a stamp on it, and you do have to put scotch tape on it. Um, so it's not a very good system, by the way, um, to request your ballot. But now David Ralston is saying, no, we need to push that thing back further than May. We need to push it into June, which you're thinking, well, man, David Ralston, Speaker of the House of Georgia, is being really cautious. That could be the right thing to do. But then you find out that he has no interest in um, you know, absentee ballots, mail-in elections, wants to push it back, but then doesn't want to take these precautions. We don't know what it's going to be like, and I think it's around June 23rd. Things may be you know, drastically better. I sure hope they are, but no one knows. And he's anti-mail-in, um, you know, you know, liberal absentee ballot request measures. Catherine, um, let's just say things are not good, and then we're facing the same kind of situation in Wisconsin if we were to push this thing back to June and, um, and David Ralston would get his way. Yeah, I think it's just so um, so hard to say. And I think that the mail-in ballots is, a really, is, is really the best. The problem is, is that, you know, it's not easy for everyone. I mean, just to ma- – I, I mean, I just think, okay, I'll do a mail-in ballot, but that means I've got to make sure I've got a stamp. And then I've got to get it in the mail – which is easy for me. I can jump in my car and go to a mailbox and drop it in the mail. That's, you know, no problem for me. But for a lot of people, that's, it is another step. Now, it's not the same. It's probably not as troublesome as having to stand in line, so that's good. But um, it is another another step. But I do think it's the best solution because it keeps us uh, – continuing to social distance and since we don't know where we're going to be in june and you know it's really hard to say even the experts can't say so it seems like we need to um come up with solutions that will work if we're still in the same situation as we are now come election day yeah, Tim, about the same time that David Rawson was making his statements about why he didn't like it, because if more people voted, more Democrats would win, Donald Trump pretty much echoed it. And, of course, he said, oh, um, people are more likely to cheat with mail-in ballots even though, or absentee ballots, even though he voted in the Florida presidential primary by absentee ballot himself, <laughs> uh, even though he didn't like absentee ballots. Um 
let, let's just say we keep on and we just this keeps on being a problem, and we don't have mechanisms to um, vote, you know, pretty, you know, um, without leaving our home, if you will. Uh, what's going to be the problem here for democracy? Well, the the problem is they're making it harder to vote. <laughs> Why they're doing that, you know, especially right – I could see doing it in the general election. But you know what? In these primaries – and I ain't talking about the presidential preference primary. There's another primary, too. There's general election primary. And there's going to be a whole, whole lot more Republicans on the ballot that day in the Republican primary than there are Democrats, especially Democrats with opposition over in the Democratic primary, which means that more people would be, you know, if if it's the way it's been going in recent years, more people would be likely to take a Republican ballot. Aren't they cutting their own throats a little bit? With this thing, uh, or, or do they just want to play it straight all the way through and say, no, we're not going to uh, have easy absentee ballot access because then we'd have to do it for the general election? I guess that's, that, that's what they're thinking. You know, I mean, statistics show, and we know this, we've talked about this for years, that the more people votes, uh, the more it tends to favor Democrats. Well, if you send don't don't send these absentee ballot requests. Just send the absentee ballot to everybody. Just send that. And and and, and I you know that I guess they but think that would to, help Democrats thing, too much. Jim Galloway pointed this out. You'd have to send everybody both ballots. You'd have to yeah, send them a Democratic true. and a Republican ballot. Um, which then, I guess, if you got both ballots, you could say, "Look, you can only you can only return one. Um, you can only return one in your name because it's going right. to have your name on it." And I mean, yeah, you know, they, they could stuff two ballots in an envelope. Them. What's the problem? And, and if and if you get a, a yeah. Democratic and a Republican ballot filled out from the same voter coming back, you just throw them out. Yeah, they don't. And, and, you, that's and how you, you would have a decent that. amount. Uh, you, you would have a decent amount thrown out. Then I will say this: if you sent people two ballots, they would vote both. I mean, they they would. You, you mean how can any well, yeah, I mean, yeah, people, yeah. people people being yeah, what they are, they yeah. there would be a lot of people that would do that. Well, then yeah, the Catherine, next best thing Tim is to make it easy for people to request people. them online or by <laughs> telephone. How about that? Tim just remembered all the people he's met and, and realized that yes, people would feel like too. Um, but, but now let's let's get into this. I, I mean, because to me this is the crux thing. Uh, another um, aspect in Texas, the rules to request an absentee ballot are incredibly strict. I mean, you have to be over sixty-five or have a physical ailment, and it sounded like you almost it's like a disabled tag on your car. You had to have a doctor's note. Um, uh, and those are the reasons that you could vote absentee in Texas. Some of the most restrictive rules. And Chris uh, and uh, Greg Abbott, the governor there, has no plans to change them in Texas. So I get to thinking, you know, if this keeps up, this is going to impact the way that campaigns have to target. You know, I think a, a lot of times in this period of time, you know, Democrats, um, particularly here in Georgia, because we were so successful in 2018 with this, 
They're saying, hey, let's register new voters. Let's add new voters to the roll, and let's turn out these new voters. Catherine, this situation makes that pretty difficult, doesn't it? Um, well, I mean, I think that's the that that is the challenge for all candidates and parties is to get people so uh, engaged and so interested in what happens in November that they're willing to vote, uh, willing to take the steps, whether it's you know registering um, and then requesting a an absentee ballot or whatever it is, but we have to, we have to reach out to all the voters and make sure they understand how important it is. And that there's a lot of things on people's minds right now. And like you said, voting isn't probably the top of the list or even in the top five. You think about how a voter registration drive works. It's face to face. Um, You're having to get people, to fill something out to register to vote. You we, can't do that face-to-face because you can't congregate. Well, Tim? You, 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 you've got to go digital. The, in the yeah. past, you know, you're, you're right. Voters were contacted in their homes through canvassing, uh, direct mail pieces, um the phone banks would probably help right now, but uh, now the, the the place to reach many people, not all people, but many people right now, is on their computers, and everybody lives on their cell phone. The Internet does make campaigning possible during a pandemic. You, you've got to go the email route. You've got to go the text route. And you've got to go the social media route and just hope that you reach everybody that way because there's going to be no face-to-face. Um, you know, ma- major campaigns, guys, from the presidential campaigns on down are not sure what this means because it was always the other way. Um, how do you find your voters online? And what everybody is thinking about is digital canvassers. You know, instead of door-to-door canvassers, try to make this canvassing digital and just see how it works. Um, I I, I don't know how it works. I don't know what the answer to that is. And by the way, I want to call hypocrite on our speaker and our and our governor too. They're they're so concerned about oh people voting in person. We can't have that and this and that and the other. And they overruled local mayors and said leave the beaches open. Who does oh, that? I mean, come on. I mean, well, you know, we're we're in a new age now, guys. We we really are. Yeah, <laughs> the whole beach policy discussion is a whole nother thing which but luckily the the photos from say Tybee were a lot better than St. John's, Florida Yeah, um, but my point they is left they, 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 Duval, they say, yeah, open the beaches, but boy, we gotta be careful when we vote I mean, <laughs> you know I, I, yeah. I agree too well, that they no probably shouldn't that, have, the, have them open yeah. but still But, but the, 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 um, 
the, 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 a beach volleyball game is not deciding the control, uh, control of the House of Representatives of Georgia. That's probably the difference. Um, but I want to welcome in our guest uh, right now for the first time to the show. Uh, find him on Twitter at, at Uncrewed, uh, Mr. Chris Leonchek. How Welcome, Chris. Hi. I'm, uh, how's everyone doing out there? Doing good. I may have, I may have well, said your name wrong, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, okay, okay. But Chris, I, yeah, I um, I saw the um, I, I um, I saw your Twitter feed, and you have all these great um, political maps, if you will. But just kind of let's start off and tell the folks what's your background in politics. You know, where does your interest and and what have you done in politics so far? Um, so. I first started getting interested in the politics, you know, because of Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a real inspiration to me, like I think he was to a lot of people my age, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, that age. So, yeah, my first election that I really got into was his reelection in 2012. Now, I was kind of a a young kid at the time. I was 12. But... I was still very, I was still very, very interested in it. So then I kind of lost interest for a few years after that, and I didn't really start getting back into politics until uh, Donald Trump exploded onto the scene in 2015. And since then, I've uh, I've been doing everything I can related to politics, following all these uh, congressional races, legislative races, even like city council races. It's a it's a fun thing to track, if you get what I mean. Yes. Well, um, so you're in college now. Where are you a student at? Are you a political science major, communications, what? I'm a communications major at St. Xavier University in Chicago, Illinois. All right. And by the way, I had not asked – I did not know that. I hadn't asked you that previously. I just took two guesses. I thought either he's that interested in politics or he's B, he's trying to do communications because he's doing a good job communicating on that Twitter feed. Now, yeah. let's get into that. Um, you, you, you do other posts besides the, the political graphics, the data graphics, but you're, those are very eye-catching, a lot of information, pictures worth a thousand words. Kind of tell us, um, how did you come about using that medium, and what do you, how did, what's the process like when you go to create one of these political graphics? So I first started getting interested into the data side of politics around late 2017, early 2018, thanks to uh, some certain Twitter users who are now kind of important, like J. Miles Coleman. He works for uh, University of Virginia now with uh, Larry Sabato and Kyle Condit. Kyle Condit, yeah. He, uh, he really got me yeah. interested in the uh, data political side of mapping and I really didn't actually do one until around March of last year. But when I did, I was hooked. It was just something that interests me very greatly about taking these races and putting them into, like, a map form so people can more, you know, easily digest them. Yeah, well, let's now – we're going to start talking about these maps uh, the first one and the only one I'm going to ask about before I put it, give it to Catherine and then Tim is the one you did for Georgia. 
um, you looked and saw which Democrat performed the best in every county in Georgia. Now, I'm sure being from Illinois, you had no idea when you started this sucker, 159 counties. I apologize on behalf of my birth state and home yeah. state for, for that. Um, but, but it was very interesting because while Stacey Abrams was the candidate that was the top of the ticket, that had really all of the national and, for the most part, state attention, attention, she didn't do the best in all the counties, let's say. I don't know what percentage. You probably can tell me that in a second. And then John Barrow was the leading vote-getter that day, but he wasn't even the leading um, vote-getter in every county. I had no idea that the attorney general candidate, Charlie Bailey, did, was the top vote-getter in 15 to 20 counties in Georgia and some decent-sized ones. Um, even the county I think that I'm sitting in, Floyd, was one of those that Charlie Bailey did. Um, one, I want you to, to hear more about any kind of analysis of that, but one more question. You pointed out on that post, if a Democrat would have gotten the vote share that Stacey Abrams got in her top counties, John Barrow got in his top counties, and Charlie Bailey got in his top counties, they would have won. While you were doing this map, were you able to kind of glean anything to where that mystery future Georgia Democrat can put all three of those together in some manner to where – they capture a majority. Yeah, that's really the big, you know, what if for Georgia Democrats, I think. Uh, you need a candidate who doesn't, you know, fade away in the rural like Stacey Abrams kind of did. Like there are a few, tr- there are a few uh, Clinton uh, Kemp counties, especially in like the Black Belt there, where Abrams kind of faded away. So you need someone who can, you know, not fade away in the rural. But you also need a candidate like Stacey Abrams who can maximize your urban and your suburban turnout and, you know, get as close as she did to beating Brian Kemp. Now, for Charlie Bailey, Charlie Bailey was a very interesting discovery while doing those maps. I can't remember why he did so well there. He's from Atlanta, from what I've been told. But it's very interesting to see um, that Democrats are kind of – you know, they got some strength up there. They got some strength that might be um, coming up in your Floyd counties, your Walker counties, your Dade counties, your Hall counties. Yeah, it just uh, it was an interesting graphic, and I, you know, I want everybody to check out all your graphics. But if you're interested in Georgia, definitely look that one up because it just as much as I kind of knew. I would have known about Abrams and Barrow, but I would have no idea that he did so well in so many counties. And like I said, he wasn't from any of those um, counties, so it wasn't like a home. Uh, although, I, I, I apologize to her. There's one more candidate that was the leading vote-getter, and that was the state school superintendent candidate did the best in Elbert County, and I don't know if she's from Elberton or not. Um, so there was a fourth candidate that I forgot to mention her because you would colored that one yellow way over on the um, South Carolina border. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Tim, and then he'll pass it to Catherine. Tim? Uh, good evening, sir, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, thank you for having me. You had a map of a state that interests me, and it was of Arizona. 
Now, this is something I, I never thought about because I'm, I'm sorry to say I'm from a state that, frankly, just does not elect female candidates on a statewide basis. Our history of doing that is, well, pretty much non-existent. But you showed a map of the success of seven female statewide candidates in, in various regions of the state. Why do female candidates perform so well in the state of Arizona, especially in very recent times? Well, that's a very interesting question. I think it's because these female Democrats, they know how to appeal to your suburban voters. Like Kirsten Cinema came mm-hmm. from a suburban uh, came from a suburban district, Arizona's uh, ninth mm-hmm. congressional district. And Martha mm-hmm. McSally came from a suburban district too, the second district. Mm-hmm. So they know how to appeal to these, you know, suburban areas because they've won these suburban areas before. I also want to give a shout out to the person who made that map, actually, uh, Jacob Joss at the Jacob Joss who made that map. And I'm looking at it right now. You also got, like, Kimberly Yee, who did really good. She really led the ticket outside of Doug Ducey. And Kathy Hoffman, who did really good on the Democratic side, essentially led the pack. But, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if uh, McSally can replicate her, you know, success in a way with the suburban voters again. Like, okay, she didn't do good with suburban voters in Mm -hmm. 2018. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see how much, how, yeah, how many more votes uh, Mark Kelly can take away that didn't vote for Cinema, for example. Mm-hmm. It, do, do you think that Mark Kelly would be strong enough in that state? I mean, he he, he is the dream candidate for a handler. You know, uh, all American hero, his wife being who she is. I mean, very well known, uh, very photogenic, just 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 the whole package ready to go. Uh, do you think he could actually act as the top of the ticket and pull, uh, say, Joe Biden across the finish line if Biden goes on to win the Democratic nomination in that state? Absolutely. You're already seeing this in uh, polls of Arizona uh-huh. where Mark Kelly is overperforming Joe Biden, overperforming uh-huh. Bernie Sanders. I don't think there has been a poll released of Arizona that has shown Martha McSally with a lead since, I think, mid-2019. That really wow. says it all. I think uh, Sabato's crystal ball just moved Arizona Senate to lean Democratic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mark Kelly is really the perfect candidate, I think, for Arizona Democrats. They really hit it out of the park with the Senate recruitment there. Now, another interesting map that you had is uh, of, of what's going on in the state of California. I know it's it's been a very good state for Democrats. Well, I guess since the time uh, of Pete Wilson, uh, since uh, I guess he was the last Republican senator po- possibly uh, uh, elected out there that flipped a, a, a U.S. Senate seat. But now we have Joe Biden right now leading Trump by nearly 40 points 
in in the newest California polls, and that's that's just a, a massive in a state that has one out of every nine people in the United States living in that state. Wouldn't a blowout like that put even some reliably red areas into play, like I don't know the Inland Empire or? or the Bakersfield area, or some of those places you would never dream would vote Democratic? Are, are those going to be battlegrounds in a 40-point race? Yeah. When I did the map of showing what a Joe Biden 40-point win could look like, uh-huh. uh, Ken Calvert's district, California's 42nd, which is essentially the Inland Empire, only uh-huh. goes to Trump by like two to five points. And that, that's really saying that, all oh, the California Republican Party has been on a downward spiral since, like, the mid-'90s, and Trump is only exacerbating it. He uh-huh. is uh, causing some of these suburban, exurban voters in Orange County, the big one, but other counties like Riverside and San Bernardino and even parts of Los Angeles County, they're, cause, they're uh, flocking the Democrats en masse. But as for some, you know, reliably Republican counties that could flip, I'm looking at uh, Placer and El Dorado County in north, uh, northeastern California. They're mm-hmm. kind of like Sacramento exurbs, but uh-huh. they did only go to Trump by about 10 points. Mm-hmm. So if you're seeing Biden overperform there, overperform Clinton, excuse me, you can definitely see those two counties, you know, start to flip. Wow. I'm going to ask you about one more state, um, and then I'm going to send it over to Catherine for some questions. Um, And I I want to ask you about this state because I can sit here in my basement, look out the window, and I'm looking at Lookout Mountain, and there's the state of Alabama right, right on top of that mountain up there. And I know that you did a, a map on your site of, of, how um, Sessions and Tuberville and, and, and uh, I believe Bradley Byrne performed in various regions of the state over there. And, and I've got I've to ask you, is there any way that Jeff Sessions can beat Tommy Tuberville in the runoff? I don't see it, honestly. Donald Trump has essentially disowned him. Uh-huh. and has essentially fully thrown his support behind the former Auburn head football coach. Jeff uh-huh. Sessions, he really wants that Trump endorsement. I think I saw a story a few days ago that the Trump campaign had to, like, send, I think, a cease and desist order towards the Sessions campaign to stop using Trump in their, you know, mailers, ads. It's really kind of sad, honestly. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see – uh, Jeff Sessions getting his old job back. I see Tommy Tuberville winning the runoff pretty easily and probably beating Doug Jones in November, sadly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? Catherine, are you with us? I'm sorry. I had my phone on mute. <laughs> I'm here. Thanks for being with us tonight, Chris. We really appreciate it. Um, I've been tracking through your um, Twitter feed, and it's very, very interesting. Um, And I hope everything's going going okay for you in Chicago. 
we're all sheltered in place here in Georgia. So, uh, you know, everybody's going a little stir crazy, but we're doing all right. Um, I wanted to ask you about Florida. I'll be honest. I don't, I'm not great at looking at some of these maps. I'm, it's, I'm more of a reader than a viewer, but um, it looks like Florida has a similar uh, needs a similar candidate to what Georgia needs, right? We need someone who can appeal to people in rural and suburban and urban areas. And um, do you think that's accurate or am I misinterpreting? No, that's very, no, you got it right on the mark. You got the uh, hit the nail on the head essentially. Uh, Nikki Freed, who's the agriculture commissioner there now, did what essentially Stacey Abrams and Barrow were, you know, supposed to do. They combined, she combined the rural and the urban and the suburban support en route to becoming the only Democrat who won in Florida in 2018. And I know Bill Nelson, he had the rural support in some places, like he outperformed Gillum and freed even by a lot in some of these rural areas, but he just couldn't win like a suburban vote that freed did. And like Hillary Clinton did in 2016, that was really his downfall, especially in like Miami Dade, uh, Hillsboro, I think Osceola, that was really bad for his like Puerto Rican support, I believe. Probably uh, a message or a, theme uh, in many, many states, right? I mean, I think that this is sort of um, where where Democrats sometimes fail is not having a broad enough message to appeal to everyone and being able to get that message out, not having the funds or the resources or the necessary technology or whatever it might be. So I think that is our challenge. And we have known this for a long time and we have failed to acknowledge it or correct it. In my opinion, I think, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very far to the left. I have very progressive values, but I'm so uh, recognized that uh, a Democrat is better than a Republican in almost every case. So I, 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 I don't know how we fix that, but I feel like it's something that we've been talking about for way too long and not really acting on. I wanted to ask you also, what are the most intriguing states or, or um, candidates or what, whatever that are interesting to you? Like which are the ones that you look at every day or every other day or whatever? What are the things that are really driving your interest right now so of course i've mentioned before mark kelly in arizona is really a very interesting candidate but i want to talk about probably a you know crazier race i would say two crazier races actually kansas where a republican turned democratic state senator i think her name is barbara boyer is running for the democratic nomination there and she might face uh, can the Republicans 2018 governor nominee, Chris Kobach. Now Kobach was a terrible candidate. Who <laughs> a terrible was, candidate. Yeah. She, it was really bad on uh, voter ID, voter fraud, that stuff. And that allowed uh, now governor Laura Kelly to beat him by five to six points. 
So if Republicans nominate Kobach there and we have a great candidate in Boyer, I think Democrats could have an outside chance at Kansas. But, okay, the other state I want to talk about is Alaska, which is the most fascinating state, I think, in America because of how many different coalitions of voters there are. So Republicans, they have Dan Sullivan there who beat Mark Begich in 2014. And Democrats are running a orthopedic surgeon slash fisherman, Al Gross. Al Gross is a really good candidate. He's an independent, but he's raised over a million dollars so far. I would not be shocked if the Alaska Senate race was in single digits this year, honestly. Wow. Wow, that's really interesting. I hadn't been really paying attention to Alaska because we're so focused on the South around here. Um, well, that's really that's fascinating. I'll have to take a look at Alaska. I've been we've all been talking about Kansas quite a bit, so I'm going to pass it to David for some more questions. Thanks again for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yes, Chris. Uh, one state that doesn't get a lot of attention at our show because it's not very a very persuadable state is that of Oklahoma. And you've been doing some uh, more political history work on a guy that's in the news, even though he's not on the back anymore, and that is uh, Joe Exotic, who ran for Libertarian, uh, I believe both nomination for governor and uh, he ran for the Libertarian nomination for president, I believe. Um, tell us what you found out about Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic is probably the funniest – well, I don't know if funniest is the right word. Strangest politician that I've ever seen. Now, if you haven't watched the Tiger King yet, the Tiger King is a very, is a very interesting documentary on Netflix. I'm pretty sure all your friends have told you to watch it by now. So I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you the details, but Joe exotic is this tiger rancher in Oklahoma. And he ran for president in 2016 as an independent, as a writing candidate. And he was on the ballot in Colorado where he received almost 900 votes. He received 1,000 votes nationwide, so he decided to follow that up by running for governor in 2018, but he came in third place. And I've been interacting with uh, the, the Libertarian nominee for governor, actually, in Oklahoma in 2018, Chris Powell. Powell has had a lot of fascinating insights into Exotic's run for governor. About, he had, like, campaign signs, Exotic. It was him and Exotic sparring at a debate once. Yeah, Joe Exotic is a very, a very fascinating figure, and uh, I don't think we'll be seeing him anymore in politics because he's in prison. But you know, it was yeah. good while we had him, essentially. And I have well, to say, one of the most thing, the the things that was most fascinating about it was that his campaign manager had been a working in the gun sales department of Walmart before he became his campaign manager. So I thought that was an interesting path from Walmart gun seller to campaign manager. I, I was really kind of fascinated by that. Well, Chris, I don't know how much you'd find on the internet, but I will say this. Joe Exotic might be the second most um, interesting yeah. political candidate Tim and I have heard of because we will see your Joe Exotic and raise you one serpent foot. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll have to give you – actually, I'm a, I'm, I know Tim, I think, has memorized it. What was Ann Otwell, a.k.a. Serpent Foot's 
um, uh, campaign slogan, Tim? Um, she may be in jail, but but if she is in jail, she is still your most honest candidate, and she will be out of jail in time to serve. Don't ask me why she was in jail. <laughs> I guess a family show and, you know. <laughs> well, well and, and I will go ahead and tell you, the, the, the reason that she was so motivated to run for political office was that um, every time they opened the uh, Floyd County Commission uh, meeting with a prayer, she said her religion was the natives, nudist, and naturalist, and she would disrobe. Uh, right there at the um, county commission meeting. So she was huh. quite an interesting and, and, uh, character. And, and um, believe me, but, you did not want to see her disrobe. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so anyway, so we had to, I had to bring up Joe Exotic, and he's definitely in the news and on Netflix, I guess, more than the news. Um, I even saw Ted Cruz tweeted out that he was watching that. So Ted Cruz does do human things. That's good to know. Um, well, Chris, before you go, I just want to give you a chance to tell everybody how they can see you on Twitter or if there's other places they can find your work. So you can find my work on Twitter at twitter.com slash untrue. That is twitter.com slash U-N-T-R-E-W-E-D. And if you want to support my work, uh, ko-fi.com slash uncrew. That is ko-fi.com slash u-n-c-r-e-w-e-d all right well chris this has been quite enjoyable we would love to have you on again but i am going to give you some homework uh, i saw your uh, kurt angle picture in your twitter feed you have some other rest uh you need to work on jesse ventura's campaign unless you've already done it, yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can Maybe we can get into that next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, th- All right, thanks for having me, guys. On. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Chris Leoncheck out of uh, Illinois uh, does great work. I mean, political graphics are just very easy, interesting ways to digest way more political data. Because you can imagine, say, 100 counties in a state, and if you had a line of all these, you know, um, what they got in the on the ballot, and then you had multiple races to compare. It would just take you know, seemingly hours, I guess, to you know properly digest it. But this graphic, you can do it within say five minutes of looking at it. Um, there. Well, guys, um, we talked a little bit about the voting side, although I do want to get into that Georgia poll too. Let's quickly just talk about campaigning in this uh, era, and one person in, in, in particular. We're assuming Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee. He's running for president from his basement. Uh, he didn't get to be like McKinley and be on the front porch. Um, he's in the basement, and let's say he's got to stay there for months on end, and he's probably getting no more than, say, 20% of the media attention to Trump's 100 or I'm sorry, 80%. Um, given that he's the you know president at the current time, Catherine, how do you campaign in such a um, media imbalance? It's difficult. Um, you know, I think it's 
uh, I think we, we talked a little bit about this last week. I think it's really hard because, you know, we want to leave. Uh, I think everyone wa- understands the importance of leaving space for the experts to talk and not, you know, usurping their, uh, a, a, and in normal, um, previously ordinary uh, circumstances, we would want to leave room for our president to lead on something like this. But since he's doing such a dismal job of that, um, it's just really tricky. I have seen Joe Biden on a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, he's been doing videos and talking on, um, like he was on the morning shows this morning. Um, other candidates, I think it's really going to be about social media and um, finding the balance between campaigning and also being compassionate and empathetic with um, the fact that people are not really that interested in politics right now. So I think it's going to require some very um, nuanced uh, messaging and um, engagement. Yeah, Tim, uh, same question, if you will. You're stuck in a basement. You can't press the flesh. Uh, the, the you know the uh, phrase that's used for um, campaigning. How do you campaign, particularly when it's not fifty-fifty on the media coverage? Yeah. Um, uh, again, in in the time we're in, I, I I just don't know if they quite have an answer yet to what he can do more than he's doing unless it's submit to every uh, national interview that will have him, perhaps do some more virtual town halls, uh, really, really, really heavily, heavily, heavily hit um, the Internet, social media. Uh, don't forget there's over a billion people on Facebook, uh, for instance. Uh, you, you, he's just got to do things like that. Uh, that he can, he can do some uh, group calls. Uh, I don't know how those would go, but it's really going to be hard. You know, on, on the other side, guys, uh, Donald Trump's pretty frustrated too. He wants to go out and see his people. You know, he he wants to have these big events, and uh, he he's really chomping at the bit to get going, and he can't get going either. It's almost like the campaign is frozen in place, isn't it? It is in a lot of ways, although I, I keep I think this is why it's not going to matter that much. This is Donald Trump up or down. This is Donald Trump against a stick, a rock, whatever it is. You, you know, you substitute things. And it looks like in the polls that came out this week where some of the rally around the flags effect is still prevalent, he's still down by about four points. He's around mm-hmm. 44% of the vote tops, and, and, and it's probably not going to get better because he's not going to get better. Now, if he mm-hmm. got the heck out of the way or said, hey, here's my doctor, and then let them talk, and here's my you know, supply chain person and let them talk. Here's Mike Pence who actually is doing loads better than Donald Trump. Uh, at these briefings, let him talk. You know, be see at this event um, every day and quit saying stupid stuff like promoting, you know, aquarium cleaner 
uh, is a medication uh, where everybody has to contradict you. I mean, but he's not going to do that because he's got to be the, the feature in the show. He's got to attack reporters. He attacked another reporter yesterday. Um, amazingly, they let Jim Acosta in the building, and he, like two straight days, he didn't even attack him. I was shocked. He even took, called him for questions, and Jim Acosta still you know, took it to him. But I, I think that's that Joe Biden doesn't have to do that much. He just has to look like a different version of Donald Trump. Now, if I wanted to get out here, here would be my idea. I would find a medical expert that is, you know, supports me, that really doesn't like what's coming out of the Trump administration, uh, you know, where he's kind of muzzled doctors, particularly Carolyn Burks, and have this person. And almost Joe Biden becomes the interviewer. And it's a daily show where it's the coronavirus daily update. And maybe he even brings in an economist, you know, bring in Robert Reich or somebody. And he interviews people, and he doesn't have to try to be the expert. He just has this really super engaging show where people would be getting the content they wanted, and Joe Biden and Joe Biden's campaign would be bringing it to, the, to him, to the people. And they would want to watch, and then they would associate all that medical and supply chain and economic recovery knowledge with Joe Biden. Catherine, is that anything that might work? I think that's actually an excellent idea, as long as he can take the um, sort of side chair. Because I think that's the th- that I will say that's the thing that drives me crazy. I mean, among a million other things about these Trump sessions is that he just, like, can't stop talking. And even when he brings someone up to the podium, he interrupts them. So um, I think it would be really helpful for um, someone, Joe Biden, uh, to have a daily update that is um, where he really just interviews people and lets them report on what the situation is instead of, interfering with what they say. I, th- I think that's a good idea. He could do it on Facebook. Yeah, that's one I have. Could, or even just his own website. I mean, I don't even, you can probably then resource it on to YouTube and everything else that exists. Um, I don't well, know. Everybody guys, seems I to be on Facebook Live and poll. Yeah, well, exactly. Although they say hackers have gotten into Zoom, I've heard. Um, they're Zoom bombing, oh, yeah. if you will. Well, let's talk about that Georgia poll. Uh, Georgia poll came out from the Collins campaign, and typically you see an internal poll and you think, eh. But the Georgia top line numbers for the presidential race is not typically what a um, Republican pollster would want to be putting out there. Now, of course, it showed um, Doug Collins winning, winning handily. Um, Kelly Loeffler, the incumbent senator, not even making the runoff. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on this poll? Well, uh, the first first thing you think is uh, Loeffler is sinking like a rock. I mean, she is running third, uh, and and I mean a twelve percent. Third, right? Or yeah, 13, 13, 13, 13%. Warnock sets at 16, and she is 23 <laughs> points behind Collins. And and the other parts of this poll uh, re- really just look 
grim for her. They they even show that she, if she made the runoff with Warnock, she would lose to Warnock. Um, her favorables with Republicans are, uh, are, are 11 points underwater with Republicans. Her favorables overall, I mean, she's sitting at like 20 percent and 55 percent unfavorable um 70 percent of the voters say that the story about the stocks make it less likely that they will vote for her um i i don't see anything promising for her in this poll and i did have one odd question about it they are showing about 10% of Democrats in this poll that are kind of splitting their vote and voting for Collins or Loeffler. I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the Democrats that would vote for Doug Collins. Y'all help me out there. Yeah, I don't know those people. Catherine, this is pretty much the impact of the stock trades, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm yeah, glad totally. to see it. I'm glad to see that people are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that it that was that is probably among all the things that we've heard about. That is one of the greediest things I've. I mean, it was just it's just awful, and um, I'm glad that people are recognizing that kind of, um, you know, greed and. I mean, I, I just can't help but say I think it's evil. I'm, I'm sorry, I just do. To benefit yeah, from I, I mean, this hor- horrible, these horrible circumstances is, and then and then, you know, and it happened so long ago, and they have remained quiet about it, about about the worries is also you know part of the, um, the evilness of it. So. I'm glad. Yeah, y'all remember the y'all remember the T-shirts where you know Grandma or Grandpa would go somewhere. They'd be like, you know, Grandpa went to Aruba, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. I have the feeling this is going to be Kelly's Loeffler Senate career. All I did was get appointed to the U.S. I, I got appointed to the U.S. Senate, and all I got out of it was some illegal stock trades. Um, <laughs> you know, that's pretty much going to be her resume. What did you do in the U.S. Senate? You know, I'm sure she rubber stamped a bunch of other stuff that you know Mitch McConnell told her to. But at the end of the day, it's going to be she got in on the you know save some money out of her stock account. Um, it's really sad. It's going to be you know like I mean Doug Collins is able to just hammer her with this. He hadn't even hammered her yet with it, and she's you know sinking like a stone. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to be to the point where Ralph Warnock and Matt Lieberman and Ed Tarver. Can hammer too. I mean, they're going to be like, oh yeah. Uh, what's the difference between Kelly Loeffler and um, Rachel Felton? Rachel Felton didn't illegally trade stocks. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know. You know and, and for those that don't know, that's the first. Here, here's and only how dismal her situation is. Georgia. Here, here's how dismal her situation is. Uh, also, in this poll, we have. The governor with a 50% approval rating and, and just a 32% disapproval, he appointed her. 
he's all for her, and there's nothing he can do to pull her numbers up. Mitch McConnell and and the and the uh, Republican Senatorial Committee are supporting. There's nothing that none of them can do for her. the the voters were already aggravated in the Republican Party here that Collins was not appointed because basically their hearts was were with him. And and they're just going to throw her out. They they're going to throw her under the bus. She's gone. Hey Tim, don't worry. Brian Kemp's going to get next time he gets some of the microphone, he's going to say, "Hey, until the last 24 hours, I didn't know she sucked this bad." You know, he's going to cover it. Yeah, he, he's done took that I didn't know thing out for a spin. It didn't work too well. <laughs> Not at all. Well, one, and, and I will say, I want to make a comment about this before I ask the last question on this poll. Is now we're seeing this on CNN. Anderson Cooper's on to it. Uh, Sanjay Gupta's on to it. Don Lemon's on to it. Uh, a lot of people on the, uh, you know, internet are on to it. But you look at the Romney Tribune. I'm sure if you looked at the Gainesville paper and the Valdosta paper and the Savannah paper and the Macon Telegraph, are they reporting on that too? Or is this just a story that's getting on the national press that's really not sinking into the local dailies across Georgia? Tim, did the Chattooga paper have it? What uh, do they have? What, dude? The story. I didn't see it on the Romney's Tribune that Brian Kemp knows nothing about how viruses spread. Oh yeah, it, it was all it was all over the national news, and no, I didn't see it the on there either. News. It, 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 yeah. It's all over so, social so, media. Um, so basically, if somebody didn't watch, if somebody watches Fox News or that AON, which I'm still surprised is even on the air, and they read their local paper, and their local paper doesn't cover it, there's going to be mm-hmm. a decent amount of Georgians that have no clue that he had no clue. Yeah, you know. So that, that that's going to be uh, an interesting dynamic. Plus, he's not up on for election for two plus years. Well, one final thing on this poll. It showed Donald Trump at 48, Joe Biden at 46. Of course, that's in the margin of error, but that could mean also that Donald Trump is at 49 and Joe Biden's at 47. You know, you can play that game a lot of ways, but nevertheless, in this poll done by a Republican pollster, and Donald Trump is likely not at his nadir of this crisis, it shows Georgia's very much in play, doesn't it, Catherine? Yes, it does, and that's great news. Yeah, the, isn't yeah. it interesting there, David, that that uh, Trump's approvals are 48-46 and his lead on Biden is 48-46? He, he doesn't have any wiggle room at all, does he? Well, we've been hearing this for a while. I think it was Nate Silver, maybe here in Enton, that I heard say this about a year ago, pretty much – Whatever Donald Trump's approval rating is, that's what his vote share is going to be. Um, mm. If people approve of him, they vote for him. If they disapprove of him, they don't. Because of course, there's very little, you know, undecideds, and you know, there probably was a little bit of the rally around the flag effect. If this poll obviously included Kelly Loeffler's um, stock trades, and so some of that's going to go away. I wouldn't bet money on Georgia flipping, but if I'm saying, hey, where is my universe I play in? And at this point, you've got to have 15 states, and in a few months you have 10 states, and you keep going down and down, particularly with the polling. I think Georgia's 
in there. It's probably not Michigan. It's probably not Wisconsin. It's probably not um, Pennsylvania. But could it have jumped ahead of Ohio for sure? Could it have jumped ahead of um, Florida even? Maybe so. Um, it's one media market. It's not four like Florida. So um, one major one, I should say. So I, I think that's a very interesting poll. That's what people are gravitating towards because I think you, we've all been saying for a while Kelly Loeffler was done. She's just more done than we ever thought. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. it also shows the Democrats have a lot of name recognition uh, to get going because most of the undecided in that poll was Democrats if you just look at average math. So there's a ton of vote up for grab for those three candidates to try to um, gather, if you will, to be that second spot in the runoff. And theoretically, if she gets a little boost, I guess they could be the first in the runoff and then Doug Collins the second, but who knows? Well, um, I'll go ahead and announce it since it's already booked. Next week, we're glad to have back for at least the third time on the show, uh, Matthew Dowd. Next week, will be Easter Sunday. We've got a great guest, Matthew Dowd. Until then, been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night, guys. y'all. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic.